Where, how is this happening? What am I saying? What am I doing? It wasn't like this when I was a banker. But then I realized like, oh, I had changed internally. And how you feel internally about yourself is how the world will then treat you. Plug into the minds of the world's cutting edge innovators, visionaries, and thought leaders who are rewriting the rules of sales and success. It's your time to make an impact. I am your host, Jason Mark Campbell, and this is the Selling with Love podcast. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Selling with Love podcast. I'm so excited I get to come back to the studio, do a live interview. As you know, most of our conversations happen remotely, but when I get a chance to encounter someone incredible right here in Bali, I will use the opportunity to bring them, feature them, and share some of their knowledge that I admire from them with each and every one of you who are listening. And the guest that I have today, Calamir, is an incredible individual that anywhere you're going around good circles of great people, you're going to hear the name Cal, Cal, Cal. Who's this guy? Everybody knows him. Everybody has great things to say about this individual. He's a coach, a consultant, a man with a history in investment banking, and today really helps high net worth individuals really understand how to introduce themselves, how to connect with others in a way that they stand out. And we're going to be going deeper into that today. In a world where it's so noisy and it's so hard to stand out, how do we pierce through the veil of everyone just saying, I'm all right. Oh, another person I met to a networking event. We hate networking, but we're all so lonely at the same time. It's a weird, weird aspect that's going on. And I want to see what can we decode? What can we hack? What can we unveil when we start applying some of the concepts that quite frankly has made it so that I am connected to this man, Cal. We are here on the platform today to talk more about social interaction and how do you actually make a lot of great connections, whether it's personal or business, without having to come across as one of those pushy people. Now, obviously, being on the Selling with Love podcast, we know sales gets a bad rap. So does networking. So let's dive deep, explore, and I'm so excited to introduce you to Cal Amir. Cal, welcome to the show. Thank you, Jason. Thanks for having me on. All right. I've been playing with a new concept on the show. I think I gave you a little hint before, but I wanted to start playing with a question I ask all my guests when they come on, just to kind of get a vibe since you are on the Selling with Love podcast. What do you sell? When you first told me about this, it brought up a bunch of different concepts in my mind. And I was like, what is it do I sell? What is it do I sell? And I could tell you that I sell consulting and coaching and all that, but ultimately I'm selling trust and wisdom. And so I'm selling myself for you to be able to trust me that I'm gonna provide you with something that might help you, whether it's personal or professional. And it's not even really something that I need to make money off of. It's just something that I feel like is part of my purpose here is to just help other people along their journey. I've had a crazy journey. It's still continuing to this day. We can get into all of that. And I feel like if I didn't have the benefit of people helping me along on my journey, I wouldn't be able to experience all of these things. So I just wanted to kind of give back. I love that. I find you chose two words that seem to have been quite lost in today's age, trust and wisdom feels like we're in a trustless world. Like it's so hard to trust anything. We don't trust companies. We don't trust governments. We don't even trust NGOs. May I even expand to the fact that we actually have issues trusting ourselves even. Um, and so having that understanding makes trust kind of a rare, valuable asset to have. So I'd be curious to know, like when you look at saying, okay, I sell trust, what have you noticed that people are looking to have more trust in and that you get to provide for them? I mean, I think you touched upon some things that are really relevant. There's so many things out there right now that are just a bunch of noise. 
trying to grab your attention. And so if you're able to provide something to people that is real and authentic and vulnerable and genuine, this is all what we're really craving at the end of the day. And it really resonates with people. And I didn't even know about all these things until I went on my journey and did the travel thing and came back and started talking to people and having some really vulnerable conversations with people and then seeing the impact that that had on myself and them and really realizing that like, hey, we're all our own journey. We're all going through human things. Even though you're going through your own situation, you're like, ah, man, this is happening. That's happening. Ultimately, we're all going through the same things as humans. And if you're able to kind of share these things in a way where you feel comfortable with someone, where you can actually open up and really get deep, you feel this sense of not just connection, but like, ah, oh, man, I'm not alone in this, this whole world. Like other people are going through that too. And I've noticed that for me and the people that I interact with, that's really the essence of what we're yearning for is to just know that we're, we're being heard, we're being seen. Other people are going through things too, and it's okay. We're all going to get through it together. And so that's really what kind of that means to me in that way. I know you work with a lot of people that are quite high status. And I think most people kind of would look at them through a filter on Instagram. And that's kind of the, the goggles we have on most individuals as we see the best of people on these social media platforms. But even when you talk about high status individuals that the perception of being like, wow, I wish I had their life. They seem to have it all figured out, but you're still uncovering a lot of these human elements that they're struggling with. And I kind of want to open up the box on that is what is one of the things that you've noticed, even as people that are in high positions that everybody admires are still dealing with as very human issues? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. So I can tell you that I started my career as an investment banker on Wall Street, working on billion dollar transactions, classic 80, 90 hours a week. And in my naive high school and college brain, I was like, oh, once I become successful and have a good job and a career and make money, all of my problems go away and life becomes easy. And so I went after that and I did it. And after several years at that job, I realized like, okay, I'm here, I'm making the money. I haven't really changed. Like everything's the same. Where I, I thought like once I got to that point, like, I don't know, I'd be put into this other universe where like life becomes amazing and all of my issues and things like all float away and it didn't. And so I decided to ask for a year off so I can travel around the world. And this is back in like 2007, 2008, where it wasn't really common to do this. Eat, Pray, Love only came out a few years before. And so I was a little bit nervous uh, when I asked for this one year sabbatical. I was fortunate enough to get it. And I traveled for a year. And I did almost 30 countries on that trip. And when I got back, I just had such a different perspective on what success means and the relevance of success in your life. And when I got back, this is when I really started peeling the veil back on exactly what you said. So I left March of 2008, just before the financial collapse not knowing it was coming, the timing was insane. And then I got back April of 09. And when I got back at that point, I came back to New York and doctors, lawyers, bankers, all these you know high status jobs, these people in these positions were kind of questioning like, why am I doing, what am I doing? Why am I doing this job? Am I doing it because my parents or society? And anytime any one of my friends who knew that I had left my job to travel heard someone say something about this, they'd be like, oh, you need to talk to Cal. 
And so I was fortunate enough to meet with hundreds of people in the next, say, three years since after I got back from my trip. And in those conversations, I started off with saying, listen, I thought life was about this. I went and did this thing, and then I went and traveled, and now here I am, and here are my thoughts. And I didn't really tell them what to do. I just told them about my journey. And in speaking with these high-profile people, they then were able to open up and be vulnerable once they saw that I was willing to go there. And I got to see like, oh, wow, this guy's like a partner at a law firm. And on the outside, if you look like, wow, this guy's making so much money and he's at the nexus of power in New York and he's doing corporate deals and you know, he's, everyone's coming to him for advice. And he sits down with me and he's like, I don't think I like my job. I'm like, okay. And I sit down with a doctor and same thing. The doctor's like, my mom wanted me to be a doctor. I thought that was the thing to do. And I don't really like it. Like I like helping people, but I don't like all the other stuff that comes with being a doctor. And one by one, I start having conversations with people and I'm like, man, like from the outside, they seem like, oh, there's this person. But if you sit down with them and peel the curtain back, everyone's human going through human things. And so from those moments of 2009, 2010, 2011, when I was in New York, having these conversations with people, trying to then figure out what do I do next with my life, I then got to dive into exactly what you just said and really see people for who they are. We're all just humans, right? Even if you're the XYZ of XYZ, you're still just a human having a human experience and you have fears and desires and wants just like anybody else. And that really allowed me to embody that when I meet people. So then when I meet somebody, Cal, this is so-and-so, I'm like, oh, nice to meet you. But then I know beneath that role that they're playing, maybe they have imposter syndrome. Maybe they want to be doing something else. Maybe they're not happy with it. And I'm just like, I try and see them as the human that they are. And that really helps me to be able to connect with people on a deeper level. When I hear you say that, there's one thing that I find quite interesting is that you've found yourself being referred to speak to a lot of these people. And I would say that there's a lot of people that are in a situation where you're trying to access certain types of people. So let's say you're getting started in business or maybe you're in sales and you wish you had a network of contact. It could be all the bankers, could be all the lawyers, could be all the doctors, as you just said. And something interesting is you come back from that trip where you go on that discovery, you have friends that are telling all these right kinds of people to come have conversations with you. So now you're being attractive and they're being attracted to you. So now that opens up conversation. For a lot of people, it's like, I'm trying to build my network. I'm trying to connect with people but I'm not being referred to friends to have conversations with others. I'm Even if I would proactively ask friends, what's going on? There seems to be something that was part of the way you were or things that you were doing that made people naturally want to refer you. And you didn't even have an intention of doing business, but nonetheless, you were opening connections. And one of the things I know from you is you always know someone and you're always connecting people and it creates a lot of value. And I think a lot of your value comes from how you are a super connector. That's a role a lot of people are striving for and they're trying to build their network, but you're finding yourself like, ah, oh, I feel like if I reach out to people, I'm annoying. I'm not seeing people opening doors for me. If I'd ask for a referral, people wouldn't go and open their Rolodex to me. So what are some of the things that are going on in the way that you show up that makes it so that you're connecting with people, people are telling you to connect with others, and you've kind of built this asset of magnetism around you. Thank you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> appreciate those kind words. 
I can answer this question in two ways. I can give you some answers on short tactical things to do, like double opt-in and providing a roadmap for these people to connect and how to do that. And we can talk about that. But I think there's a deeper concept at play that I'd love to get into. The year around the world really allowed me to stop and take account of what I'm doing in my life and am I happy on this current trajectory. And it allowed me to stop moving around, thinking, doing so many things, being in New York, being a banker, working so much. And I actually got to go internal and learn about myself and grow through some difficult things that I didn't even know that I had there because there was so much noise on top of it. And what I realized was the more you work on yourself, the more you realize what your role is here, what your purpose is here, and the more attention you give to understanding who you are and how you want to show up in the world, the more at ease you are, right? The more you could just be yourself, the more you don't have to try to really do anything. And I didn't know any of this stuff. It's not like I woke up and was like, ah, oh, this is what you need to do. I just went through this random journey. And then when I look back, I'm like, oh, the other thing that's really important is when you're taking care of yourself and you go on the journey of self-discovery, you then create capacity, energy, and time within yourself to then give to other people. So most people are not spending enough time on themselves to really go inward and see what it is that they care about, who is, who is it that they are, what was their childhood like, how did that impact them, what programming are they bringing into this current situation. And if you do that enough, you get to a point where you're good and you have 10%, 20% excess capacity and energy. Then that energy, instead of using on yourself, you can then go and give it to other people. So a deep, long way of answering your question is that I didn't know this at the time, but when I came back and I was having conversations with people, I realized that their reactions to me and how they talked about things and how they really leaned in and listened and how enthusiastic they were and the gratitude that they gave after the meetings. I was like, Where, how is this happening? What am I saying? What am I doing? It wasn't like this when I was a banker. But then I realized like, oh, I had changed internally. And how you feel internally about yourself is how the world will then treat you. And you hear this, but like I actually lived it and experienced it and saw it. And through three to 400 interactions with people one-on-one, -on -one, I saw it firsthand of what it looks like when you actually take time for yourself and how the world and society and people respond to you. And so there's no easy answer to do this. It's not like, you know, brush your hair or put on deodorant, you know, it's do, good start. Definitely do those things. <laughs> definitely do those things. Otherwise, you know, no one's going to want to talk to you, but it's really about going a little bit deeper within yourself. And then you realize like how you feel about yourself is then how other people show up for you. When you say that, it makes sense. I've seen this. I'm seeing how by doing that, you're not coming across with a certain sense of like neediness, right? And I almost find like that's the most repulsive thing. And actually even to the model of selling with love we were talking about on a previous conversation was can you sell with love when you're being needy? when you have your own needs that aren't met, it's actually really hard because then every time you go to interact, there's like a sense of vibe in the air that it's like, oh yeah, you're a taker, right? And it sounds like what you've done as a journey is you've gone to a place where you've, okay, you found that sense of peace, of groundedness, and it seems like everybody's kind of shifty anyways, but I'd be curious to know because there's another side of me that 
assume someone hearing this could be like, oh yeah, well, maybe I should just stop everything I'm doing and go on a trip of self-discovery as well. Or maybe even like, oh, well, if I was in your shoes going back in time, maybe I wouldn't have even needed to go into investment banking and go into this because you went through like a pretty hardcore apprenticeship, learning, sharpening of yourself as an individual in the workplace. And I have a bias. There's a bias that says like, you need that kind of sharpening experience to have the right to go on a trip and discover yourself, but you need to have mastered some sort of skill, develop some sort of value. But then I'm sure there's a counterweight that says, maybe you can skip all that and go straight to the self-discovery. And I'd be curious to your perspective, how do you see that sharpening apprenticeship phase actually playing a huge part into shaping the possibility for you to connect with these others. Yeah. You know, I go back to everyone is on their own journey and they come into this world with a certain set of circumstances, situations, DNA, upbringing, parents. And so I can't sit here and say that they need to go through the journey that I went on because that was my journey. But inevitably, they're going to go through some things on their own that will give them access and opportunity to do these things. Do you need to take a year off from your life and go and travel and visit almost 30 countries in order to get somewhere? Maybe, but no, you can also bring these things into your daily awareness. You can set aside 30 minutes a day, an hour a day for yourself, where you're just with yourself. You meditate, you read a book, you do something where you're not distracted and you're able to actually quiet down and go deeper internally. And that's really where the magic is. And that's really where the, the essence of what it is that you're trying to get to. And mind you, I'm still on my journey. I don't have anything figured out. The more I learn, the more I'm like, man, I don't know anything. But I've at least gotten to a point where I'm like, okay, these things make sense to me for now based on where I am. So I can at least be like, okay, I'm at peace for now. I still have so far to go. And I don't even know how far I've come, but I know I have a long way to go. But I'm on my journey. I'm on the road. So like, everything's fine. And that allows me to at least sink into a level of comfort so that when I sit down with someone and I'm speaking to them, they're like, ah, there's just like a sense of ease and trust that I feel with you, which goes back to the word that I said. And I can actually sit and pay attention to this person because they make me feel a certain way or they give a certain vibe. And I'm not trying to give that vibe. That comes from me being at a certain place where I'm just generally comfortable with everything. So Everyone's on their own journey. You can find your own way to chip away at self-discovery. It doesn't need to be your own the world. It, it was for me. I don't know if I would have ever gotten that far if I didn't actually stop, you know, as a 28-year-old working in investment banking on the fast track and high finance in New York. It's very alluring. How do you stop that train? You know, I could have just stayed on that train and you never get access to that. So that was my experience, but everyone's in a different place. So there's always a way for you to gain access to these opportunities to discover who you are. So we fast forward and now you have amazing clients, you consult, you coach, and you get to support them through their discovery of humanity as well. And they got their own ways of discovering alignment. And one of the things I know is particular about what you do is you help people kind of present themselves and be better at connecting with others as well. I've met a lot of people who talk about networking but I've also seen a lot of people, again, maybe having more of that like neediness vibe. They seem to have some success at what they do, but there's still like a, it's almost like a forced effect in the way that they network. And that's something I've never felt with you. And I've noticed the way that you kind of connect the dots with people. There's never like a wasted connection and 
it's done quite in a classy way, not needy. And I'd be curious to know, how do you dissect the difference between the two and how you do it? Is it more effective? Yeah, so I'm pretty thoughtful when it comes to those things because ultimately I've been connecting people for a long time now and I've learned the things that work and the things that don't work. And when I connect people, I view that relationship as my responsibility to at least provide a runway for that thing to get going, right? And I've seen this happen multiple times where people like, put two people in a group chat and they're like, Hey, you guys are both great. Like you should connect. And then they leave the chat as is. And I'm like, if you're going to go out of your way to connect someone and you will be responsible for them getting to know each other, whether it's a business partnership, a friendship, a partnership, whatever it is, this is my view. No one has to believe it, but I view that it's my responsibility to provide a runway for that relationship. And there's a reason why I want to connect these people. And so what I do is I first do the double opt-in approach, which is I check with one side, Hey, I'm going to introduce you to this person. I think it would be amazing for you to connect with them because of these reasons. Then I go to the other person. Hey, I want to connect you with this person. And here's why. And what I do is it's not just like layer one, layer two. It's like, Oh, you guys are both in e-commerce. So I wanted you to meet and you just happen to be my friends that are in e-commerce. It's like, that's being a little lazy. It's not being thoughtful enough to like really get them motivated to want to connect. And so I'm like, hey, you guys are both in e-commerce. Your businesses are at the same exact places and you guys are both trying a new form of marketing. I think it makes sense for you guys to talk. Think about how that lands versus you guys are just both in e-commerce and you're my friends. Like, So you want to almost provide a runway for them to get going. Now, what happens after that runway is not your responsibility. But in my belief, it is your responsibility to provide them with a nice runway for them to be motivated enough to want to actually reach out and connect with each other. And in this day and age, where we're so distracted, our time is so limited, we have an internal bar of what it takes for us to actually do an action. And if you don't surpass each of their internal bars for them to want to take an action, they're not going to connect. And then ultimately, that chips away a little bit at your value when you connect two people and they don't finalize the connection or they don't actually end up meeting. So I've done this consistently for such a long time that I've gotten a little bit of a reputation that, hey, if Cal connects me, this is a high quality connection. I need to pay attention. Now, I earned that over 15 years of doing this in a thoughtful way because I'm taking time to actually invest in this connection. I'm busy too. Would I love to just take 30 seconds to connect these people? Yeah. But no, I take 10, 15 minutes to think about what it is that I can say to make sure these people actually want to connect with each other and come in with the right amount of motivation and then I let it go, you know? So we're talking about putting in the right and appropriate amount of time and effort into making that happen. I don't know if this is an easy question to answer, but like, do you think about what the return on investment is for that? Like, what's the value in prioritizing doing this over every other thing that's trying to take our attention? How have you measured that? That's a good question. I just, I get internal enjoyment out of connecting people. <laughs> I'm so, asking for a friend. Yeah, I yeah, get the yeah. same, but I've, I've never been able to kind of quantify, but yeah, it's one of those habits. I'm like, no, it's brought joy to my life and it seems like it keeps giving back. Yeah, that's all that matters. <laughs> that's it, that's it. You nailed it. It gives me joy in life and it keeps giving me back and it makes me feel good. That's it. If you focus on that, you're going to keep connecting people and whatever happens after that, the residual effects down the line, they do a business together, they do a partnership together. And ultimately people are going to be like, Hey, like, how did you guys meet? Like, oh man, Cal connected us. And like, 
that's a nice little extra bonus at the end. But ultimately, the art and the quality in doing it the right way is the thing that I enjoy because then that's a reflection of who I am and how I'm showing up in the world when I actually take effort and energy to connect people properly, which is not my main job. I don't get paid from that, but it brings me joy. And I know that if it helps other people, ultimately, that's where I want to be doing. So you share one thing that's quite tactical, but I think is so important. And we've had some conversations off camera about this on how annoyed we get when we get thrown into these group chats. And then it's like, you two connect. And you're like, what? Now it's become a task that I didn't sign up for. Right. And I think that's a critical thing. So the double opt-in, that's a huge tactic. I highly recommend for anybody paying attention to this. If you're making the introduction, verify with both sides, do exactly what Cal said before you make that introduction and connection. And then I think when they have that initial conversation and then they, they meet and something nice happens, you've done your job. I think that kind of ends up like a friend plus point or whatever you want to call it, if we want to quantify it. Whatever happens on the long term is not in your hands neither. But as long as you've gotten that initial nice connection, I think that's really, really cool. For someone who's maybe just starting out, wants to kind of be more connected, wants to maybe build on that, see if it's something they enjoy or see something that, you know, we've talked about how it has this residual positive net benefit that we don't quite measure, but okay, it's a habit I want to bring in. Is it something you proactively look for? Because, you know, how do you manage not being needy to do it, but then still being like, hey, it's something I want to do more active. I just never thought about doing it before. Yeah, that's a really good question. There's definitely a balance to doing it. I remember back in like, 2012 when I was a few years back after my trip and I'm like, wow, it's really valuable for me to connect people and they're really getting benefit off it. I was like, okay, I'm going to set a goal for the next year to connect two people every week for the whole year. And there was like three, four weeks where like people just came into my life and I was like, oh, you need to meet this person. You need to meet that. And then around week four, week five, there wasn't really anyone that I felt super compelled to connect. And I felt myself starting to dig and be like, "Ah, I could connect this person with that person. And then like I wrote the message and I was like, "Mm, this isn't good enough. I was like, "Okay, there's no one to connect right now. Let me wait. And then the next week, same thing. No one was there for me. I'm like, oh, I'm falling behind my goal. I got to connect two people every week for a year, 52 connections, see what that does. And then the next week, nothing again. I was like, all right, there's nothing to connect. And then the following week, there was four people, four pairs that I wanted to connect. And I was like, oh, okay, I guess I'm back on track. But ultimately, it's not necessarily beneficial to like set a number like that because it's just an arbitrary number that you're picking. There's an internal feeling that you get, like an aha moment almost when you start talking to somebody and this other person just comes into your mind. You're like, oh, I need to connect you with this person. And then you think a little bit like, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's when you then become proactive and make the connection. But if you're forcing the connection, that forcing energy, that neediness energy that you mentioned, that comes through Mm -hmm. and people pick up on that. And it's slightly less motivating for them to then want to take the energy to connect to these people because we're a lot more complex than we think. You know, we can pick up on people's vibes. We can pick up on how people are feeling. Even if we don't consciously think about it, our bodies can feel where people are at. And so when you have that like aha moment, when you hear someone or you meet someone, you start hearing their story like, oh, this person just went through this journey. Let me connect you with them. That internal spark is really the catalyst for you to want to connect someone rather than just being like, oh, I want to connect more people. I would call that little spark like joy. Like there's a little joy. And then when you come from that energy, then it's, 
it definitely cancels out any of the neediness because you just genuinely want to get it done. You want to look from a different perspective. So obviously you're connecting people, that's creating value. But to be able to do that, you need to have, God, am I going to use that word? But I will, assets, <laughs> but that's humans, right? So like you need to have kind of an initial base of humans that you know that makes it worthwhile to be able to connect. And I think we have an innate need of wanting to expand our network, expand how many people we're connected to. Because if you're going to be in a place where you're connecting people, you should be actively meeting new people to see if it's worthwhile connecting. What are some of the main activities you've done to be able to expand your own network, to just make it so that, you know, you've been managing it and growing it, and now you have reasons to connect people? Because you know incredible people, and I'm wondering if there's very tangible actions you can take to grow your own network. Looking at it like that, it's difficult to answer. I can only look at it from, I like a lot of different things. I'm interested in so many different topics, you know, I'm a business advisor. I take hip hop dance classes. I have friends that do all kinds of different things all over the world. And I'm always curious to learn about people and what they're up to and what they're doing. And so that natural curiosity has led me into different friend groups, into different circles, into high profile circles, into low profile circles. Like I love it all. And I can kind of be a chameleon and match the vibe of all of these different circles just because of who I am and what I've done and what I care about. I'm actually really interested in getting to know these people. And so through that natural course of just me being curious, I've had access to all these different circles. And then when I go into one circle, I think like, okay, who are these people? What do they care about? What motivates them? And then what experiences have I had? What knowledge base do I have? What wisdom do I have? Who do I have access to that could potentially help these people? And if it's not, then there's nothing there and that's it. It's okay. But because I'm so curious and I put myself in all these different situations, I'm lucky enough to have a bank of assets and conversations and topics and places that just because I'm curious, I've gotten to know so that I can then tap into this pool and offer up something when necessary, but also not doing it from a place of like, oh, I got to go provide value or whatever. It's kind of just like really being helpful, you know? And it's, this is universal. It doesn't matter what circle you're in. If you are genuinely interested in the other person and trying to actually help them, now I'm not saying you're Mother Teresa, but you're like curious to want to help them. Like, what do you do? Oh, I'm a marketer and I do digital marketing. Oh, okay. Like, do you care about that? Are you excited about it? Like, is that what you really want to do? Yeah. Yeah. I really love the internet and I've been marketing for, okay, great. And then you can then start to like peel back what motivates them, who they are, and then start to get deeper and ask questions about why they're doing what they're doing or how they got to do that. And then through that conversation, things come up, right? And topics come up and people come up in your mind that you're like, ah, have you heard about this thing? Have you heard about that thing? And then you just exchange knowledge. And if I don't know anything about marketing, if the person tells me something like, oh, you know what? That sounds a lot like this other finance thing that I learned because in this world, this happens and that happens. It seems like the concept is similar. And they'd be like, oh yeah, I didn't even think about that. And it's just like offering up things that are relevant to them based on the experiences that you've had in a kind of easy way that just kind of flows and is effortless. Do you label yourself as an extrovert? No. Not necessarily. No, I think I'm in the middle because I do enjoy meeting people and going to events, but then I also enjoy just like hanging out by myself and just chilling. I'm in the middle. Like I could go either way. I wouldn't say like I'm an extrovert and I'm always out there and I'm, ah, I'm Cal. Ah. No, I like that. I also like 
doing quiet things sometimes and chilling and then going out. And so there's a balance. I know for me, I'm way on this. When I do the the big five personality assessment, like I'm in the top percentiles of extrovertedness. And same with you, like I do appreciate the alone time and stuff, but I think I'm on the spectrum for <laughs> extrovertedness quite on a skewed level. I think it's 96 or 98th percentile. So that was pretty high. You know, one of the biggest fears about, you know, okay, I can go and sign up to a lot of different call it clubs, sign up to events of interest so I can meet some new people there. That's kind of like what showing up is half the battle kind of thing. But then once you're there, you still have half the battle. And so I'd be curious to see what are some of the biggest, could it be faux pas or maybe interesting things we should keep in mind if you've decided to show up to make sure that you're showing up your best self and you're not being, you know, one of those, we've been to events and we've known, let's call them those people that maybe just give up that negative vibe and it's like oh my god like if you walked into a cafe and you would see that person you've seen at that event you might walk into a different cafe you want to go out and connect with people but you definitely don't want to be one of those annoying people let's call it what it is so what are some of the things you would recommend for someone if they want to show up like you said in a giving way not being needy what are some of the things we should have figured out here yeah you know i was surprised to see how people actually present themselves and how they talk about themselves and their journey and what they've done. I've been lucky enough to know some of the most successful people and amazing humans with depth and all this stuff. And I'll be in an event with them and I'll be in a circle of people and someone's like, oh, hey, like, what do you do? And their answer is like the most mundane, not interesting, like doesn't even scratch the surface of who they are. And I watch this, I'm like, wow, you're way more than this than what you just said. And I realized that people are leaving so much of who they are on the table because they don't effectively know how to communicate who it is that they are and what it is that they do. There's a saying that facts tell and stories sell. And so if you don't have your story down, you're missing out on countless opportunities for business, for friends, for lovers, for partnerships that you don't even know that you're missing. So what I help people with often is how to actually tell your story. And I've been in situations where I know the person doesn't know how to explain their story properly. So I'll jump in for them and I'm almost like their PR person for the next 30 seconds. And I do this without even thinking about it. I did it two days ago at a restaurant with a friend. And, you know, instead of them saying like, oh yeah, hey, my name is Melissa and I do this and that. I'm just kind of like, this is my friend, Melissa. Let me tell you about her. She went through this journey where she thought this was the right thing to do. And then she realized that wasn't it. And now she's doing this. And she also did this other side thing where she helps charities do this, this, and this. And oftentimes when I do this, the person looks at me and was like, wow, that's me? Like, oh, cool. That sounds so amazing. You are that amazing. You are that amazing. How are you not communicating yourself properly to people that you're meeting? Because ultimately, we have such short attention spans these days. And when you go to a networking event, you start meeting people, there's a minimum threshold of, I don't know what you would call it, but like caring or paying attention to someone. And if you don't pass that threshold for that specific person, they're on to the next person and they don't want to even consider you anymore. And so what I help people do is have them surpass that minimum threshold for that person so that they can at least take the opportunity to learn more. Because in an ideal world, in any networking event or any event or party or whatever, you would meet someone and you'd sit down for an hour and you'd get a chance to really find out who it is that this person is, what they care about, and really authentically get to connect with who they are. But we don't have the opportunity to do that. And so to go from showing who I really am 
to that 10 second intro, that 30 second intro, there's a lot missed. And so I help optimize that intro to get them to at least be interested enough to want to get to learn more. I can't help you be interesting if you're boring, but I can help you get to learn. I can help you show others a glimpse of who it is that you might be so that then they can take the opportunity to sit down and learn more. Well, one of the things I find unfortunate is we can't have a little cow come into all our networking events with us to give us that introduction. And I have a funny confession, which is I just came back from Canada and I was hanging out with my mom and my dad. And my dad basically was at the restaurant and everybody at the restaurant knows him. He's like, he goes there almost every day. And he's like, Jason, I have a problem. He's like, I have no idea what you do. <laughs> and so even my dad, he's like, I think you've written a book. You do business stuff thing. And it's like, it's interesting we're having this conversation now because I realize like even my dad and my mom have no idea on how to introduce me. And I know when we had a chat the other day and you asked me kind of like, what do I do? And even I have my own stutter around introducing myself and I'm not sure where to start. I would assume for your friend, Melissa, in that case was basically like, whoa, you gave her a glimpse of what could be the way to introduce yourself more powerfully. And so I'm curious to know what could be a step to take to get a bit more of that feedback, that data? Is it, should I be asking my friend? Should I be writing down something for myself? How do you take inventory and take a step forward here? Yeah, that's a really important question. And I think a lot of people don't even know that it's something that they need to work on. I put together a process for how to identify what those things are and tease them out and then tell your story. And effectively, I help people do this, but I can give you the shortcut version. It's really, you should sit down and write out your life story. I don't mean every single detail, but the major inflection points of what happened along your journey. I started out with an art major degree. And then when I graduated, I realized that's not what I want to do. And then I went to this and you kind of like write out your whole story. Then you take a look at the story and you start to tease out points where it was going this way and then it hit this way and then it hit that way. And there's always a reason and a catalyst for that. And that then becomes your story put into the hero's journey. The hero's journey, if you don't know what it is, it's worth looking up. It's kind of the story that all movies follow and and it's really the way that humans really love to like hear what happened. Effectively, a hero leaves the home and goes on an adventure and becomes transformed and then comes back and is a new person. But there's a lot more to it, but that's the summary. So effectively, you want to take your story and put it into a hero's journey and demonstrate in a humble way the things that you've done and the things that you've gone through. And I can give you an example of that. The other thing that you want to do is you want to give people a plethora of things for them to then go in on. Because when you meet somebody, you don't know who they are, what they're interested in, what their background is. And so when you tell your story, give them access to multiple topics along the way so that they can then pick the topic that they want to go deep on. And then it's you, so you can talk about that all day. But now you got them interested because you're giving them something that they would want to then talk about. And so there's really three steps. It's writing out your whole journey, teasing out the important points, putting it into the hero's journey, and then making sure there's an array of things for you to offer up to the other person that you're talking about, which will then move the conversation to the next step, which will then build the energy, which will then build the vibe, which will then build the rapport for that to continue. And then it goes where it's supposed to go naturally. 
I remember in some of our earlier conversations how you've had a chance to kind of lay that out. You gave me a bit of your story and obviously we had a bit more time, but at the same time, I'm just recalling that conversation because you spoke about the travels, you spoke about the consulting now, you spoke about the investment banking and correct me if I'm wrong, but out of the plethora you had introduced me to, I think I got most curious about the investment banking world and we went really deep on that. And that's only because you had kind of at least teased a few different topics. If I would have been more interested in the travel, I would have been like, well, what country? I, I never asked you which countries you went to. I only recently found out that you were there at the same time I was in Thailand. You were denied access to Thailand because there was a rebel takeover of the airport, which is a story for another time. But I, I'm just catching myself based on our conversations, how I've really learned a lot about the fact that you worked for RBS. I know the kinds of deals you're working with. You were meeting with CEOs. You really unpacked that part of the story. But I've never heard you talk much about the travels because I never showed interest in the travel stuff. And that kind of leads into the, this concept. You, you labeled something humble, but it's also just going a bit beyond because some people would be afraid, or let me rephrase that, not some people. I sometimes would be afraid of, I don't want to talk too much about myself because I don't want to be that arrogant person that just talks about themselves. And so how do you find that balance? So you're not over-talking, but you get to do everything from presenting the hero's journey, giving them clues for things to grab on, but not being an overbearing person that just always like the one-up person that just dominates the conversation. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of depth to this. It's not something that I can just explain in five minutes. We're trying to do that. So I'll give you the, the bullet points of that. But when you are telling your journey, if you match it to the hero's journey, there is a point in the journey where the hero gets humbled. They go through a difficult challenge. They go through a struggle and they struggle and they struggle and then eventually they overcome it. And then they grow and they're stronger as a result. And then they come back into the world. And so when you're putting together your story, it's important to tell it from a perspective of being like, hey, I tried this thing and this is what happened. And I'm not really sure, but now I'm doing this thing. You know, it's less like, again, facts tell, story sell. So if you tell it in a factual way, it can come off as arrogant. Mm -hmm. If you tell a story around it, then you're taking people on a journey. Then you have their attention. Then you can talk about the ups and the downs. You don't, it's not all rosy, you know, like talk about the downs. If it's a, one of those pivotal points in your life where it shot this way, it's like, then I got married. And then two years later I got divorced because I just realized that I made a mistake and I realized that I need more in life. And this partner was enough for me at that moment, but I've grown and now I need more. So it's like, oh, this person just told me all these great things about them. Then they told me they got divorced. Like, oh, okay. I don't feel as like, you know, I'm not as standoffish. Like, oh, they're vulnerable. They're opening up. They told me about their divorce and I just met them. So it's offering up, you know, again, the whole point of this thing is to get access to as close of a person as who you are authentically in that short moment. It's not going to be perfect. Ideally, again, you sit down for an hour and you open up and you tell everything about yourself and then you listen to the person, but you only have a short period of time to get this person's attention. So you have to do your best to take who it is that you are, what it is that you've done and how it is that you feel about life right now and package that in a way and put it in front of that person to where it's humble, it's interesting, it's authentic, and it's a little bit interesting. And so all of these different components are the characteristics necessary in order to be able to get someone to be like, ah, this is someone I need to pay attention to. This is someone who I need to connect with. What's your number? Let's go for coffee. Then you're starting to go onto the genuine path of getting to know who they are because you can't do that in a short interaction. 
But what you can do is get their attention for them to then later get to know really who you are because that takes time. Yeah, I like that. I'm curious if it's just the spirit of our current time or it's always been that way because, and again, I'm wondering if I'm just biased because I was younger at the time or if it's actually we've seen a change in the way that we want to interact. But I feel like, call it 20 years ago, we were looking up for people that showed flawlessness as heroes. And now it's almost like the more flaws the person has today, like I'll interact with somebody and I'm like, oh, wow, if I see they're flawless, I get suspicious. But it seems like 20 years ago, it was like, oh yeah, I'm trying to find the most flawless person that I can trust. Now it's like, if they're too flawless, I don't trust them. If they show vulnerability, they show humbleness. Now I'm more like, okay, this person's human like me. Maybe there's a lot more potential for me to trust them. Is that a spirit of the current time or is this just something that's always been that way? We're just maybe more realizing how effective it is. I've noticed the same thing. 20 years ago, you know, these people in these high profile positions, you're like, oh my God, you know, this person and that person. And that's all you saw. And as people started going through different things started helping with this, you know, like social media and getting to see what they're doing all the time, even though they're only showing you good aspects of what's going on, you're at least seeing that they're more human. And I've noticed this trend as well. And I think it's now gotten to the point where people only really want to see the authentic version of that person because they know that what they're presenting or who they're presenting, that's not who they really are. And I think when we were younger also, we would fall into this trap of like, you know, this Disney fantasy or the superhero fantasy and Spider-Man and Batman and Superman. And these people are just like, you know, they're flawless and they don't make mistakes. Those people are not real. <laughs> Superman doesn't exist. And so someone even playing Superman, you know, there's a real human behind that person. You know, they, they have bills to pay. They have whatever is going on in their life. And I think the generation below us are not really interested in hearing this fairy tale version anymore. They want to really know what's going on. They want to kind of peel back the curtain and see who these people are. And that's why you feel that way where you're like, you know, now that's not real. When you see this thing and you're like, ah, oh, this flawless person is like, mm, what's really going on there. Then if you're able to show vulnerability, if you're able to show what's actually really happening, you then are able to connect more because you feel safer. You're like, okay, this person is showing who they actually are, at least to a certain level. And then you're able to then feel more comfortable. And there's not this like image you create in your head about who this person is. I don't get starstruck when I meet famous people or get introduced to powerful people. I don't know why it's always been like that, but I think it's because I really feel this about them as like, they're just a human like me. They happen to be doing this role in this position. Things happen to them along their journey that led for them to be this thing in this position. They're not going to be in this position forever. They're then going to go do something else. And I just see them for the human who they are. And I'm able to be more at ease around them rather than like, oh my God, this is this famous person or this is this powerful person. It's just like, they're just a regular human. Yeah. I find our entire conversation kind of skirted around some of the opening statements you've made, which was around trust and how this is kind of an evolution of how to play the game of trust today in a much more effective way that just makes life a lot more enjoyable in the process. But you also opened with the other word, which was wisdom. I didn't want to let that go because I do think it's worth unpacking in a world where information's coming at us at, you know, faster than ever. Information, knowledge, accessible, 
whether it's through search, through AI tools and all of the things that are at our disposal to get us towards having access to intelligence. And I'm using that word deliberately because I don't want to confuse it with what wisdom might be. And I'd be curious to understand your definition of wisdom and what do you think are the, some of the most valuable, say, wisdom aspects that we should be conscious of and nurturing within ourselves? Yeah, I have this deep-seated belief that we're all here to help each other in some way and help each other along our journey to help become better humans. And so I'm lucky enough, I happen to be curious. So I like knowing and learning about things. I collect this knowledge along the way, and then I go through experiences myself. So the experiences that I go through for me and the things that I learn are wisdom. The knowledge that I pick up are facts and things that I learn about how things work or how this happens and how that happens. But the wisdom that I pick up are experiences that I go through. And so if I'm able to pass along some wisdom to someone else off of something that I went through, that to me makes me feel like I'm living my purpose. That to me makes it feel like I'm a part of this thing. I'm connected. I'm not by myself working on my business, going through things in a silo and feeling disconnected and lonely. If I'm able to pass along my experiences to others and they benefit, that makes me feel like I'm more human than anything else. Now, I'm not saying you need to go rush out and do that. I'm just giving you an example of what makes me feel that way. But ultimately, I feel like if you work your way through all of the different things you're supposed to do, you're supposed to make money and be successful. Once you elevate past all of that, you get to a point where you just kind of want to help other people and give back. Now, I'm making it sound like, you know, I'm Gandhi and Buddha and I'm always helping. No, I'm a regular person going through regular things. But when those moments come up where I can help someone else and I see the impact that that has on them, it just makes me feel really good inside. And ultimately, I'm really chasing that feeling. Nice. Cal, you've highlighted a word that I don't want to let go before the end of the interview, which is you've highlighted curiosity as a word very often. It's something I associate myself with as well. I think that's why I enjoy doing podcasts because in essence, my innate curiosity allows me to listen, pay attention, and kind of want to have that thirst for knowledge, you could say, or maybe thirst for wisdom eventually. So I'd be curious to hear how curiosity has played a part in your success. Yeah, huge. I mean, that's the underlying fabric of how I'm able to do all of these things and get access to all these things because I'm genuinely curious. And the word that you used was attention. If you're genuinely curious about something, you're going to give full attention to that situation. And what I mean full attention is when you're meeting people and you're listening to their story, most people are thinking about the next thing that they want to say. They're not actually present and listening to what it is that this person is saying. I promise you, if you take the time to listen to the person, to look them in the eye, don't look over their shoulder for who came into the party, and you can actually be with this person, you will naturally come up with what it is that you want to say next when that moment is there. But if you're racing to try and think about what to say next when they're talking to you, you're not actually there with them. You're not actually paying attention and you're not being curious. And so not saying you need to do those things, but those are the things that help me along my journey and figuring out what it is that I want to do and how to really connect with people authentically is that I'm genuinely curious. So if I'm there with you, I'm there with you. I'd bring it back to one of the earlier things we talked about, which was the self-trust. And actually what you've highlighted is something that I was so nervous about in my first podcast interviews. 
I was very much like, oh my God, I don't want to come to a moment where I'm silent and I don't know what to ask. So I would always be thinking about the next question. And I realized when you trust yourself a little more, I think practice also, I mean, it, that definitely increased the comfort level, but it, it wasn't a practice out of learning more techniques. It was just a practice of learning to trust myself more. And now I get to be more present in these conversations. And I think if anybody's looking to apply these tools, it's just like, hey, you're going to probably be a little uncomfortable the first times, but putting yourself out there, just do it. And you'll see that self-trust goes up. You keep that curiosity high. And I think we get to be better humans in the process. Absolutely. Cal, there's a question I ask everybody that comes on the show, which is, you're on the Selling with Love podcast. I'd be curious to know, what does selling with love mean to you? Selling with love to me means that you're doing things because they light you up inside for a deeper purpose. So anytime I'm doing anything, I'm very thoughtful with my actions. And I'm like, what's really the deeper purpose behind this? And if I can get to the point that comes back to along my evolutionary process, I'm at a point where I like giving back and helping people. So if ultimately I'm selling something that allows for them to benefit and it helps them on their journey in a way that's beneficial for them, then that is selling with love for me. And that's ultimately what I want to be known for and do. I love it. Cal, thank you so much for coming on the show. We've covered a lot today. And what I just want to recap for everyone here is the biggest takeaways I've had from this conversation is number one, understanding how neediness might be a bit of a poison towards the goals you have of connecting with people, whether that's for personal or for business ends. If you're just genuinely curious in people, you understand that if you put yourself out there and you're realizing there's some value to be created while connecting other people, one of the tactics was make sure you always get the double opt-in. So if you see two people that would get a lot of benefit from being introduced, get permission on both ends first before putting them into a group. To me, that's just a very simple tactic, but means so much as far as making sure that when you do make the introduction, both people think of you in high regard as someone who is a connector. You don't need to quantify it. We weren't able to put a number to the quantification of what happens when you start being someone that actively and proactively connects people. But if it brings you joy, it has this lingering positive effect to everything you do, whether it comes from client referrals in the future, building your existing network, it just has a net positive effect that you should be aware of. And so if it works, keep doing it. We talked a lot about if you're going to be showing up as anybody, well, showing up as a human is probably the best thing. We're all human at the end of the day, and it doesn't matter where your status is. If you treat others as humans and you come up with this approach of understanding that we all have some stuff that we're dealing with as humans, we get to move away from the superficial and really connect human to human, which is what we're actually craving. And I think if we have the courage to just show up as ourselves, be a bit more vulnerable, build our own hero's journey in the process, we're actually able to stand out when we go and connect with people. And that makes us much more effective at networking, again, without having to be someone perceived as needy, arrogant, and see what happens when you start testing the ways that you introduce yourself, which is not about giving facts, but rather telling stories. And nonetheless, if you keep the high intentions, the curiosity, the wisdom, the trust, if all of these types of vibrations are going in your mind while you're going out to connect with more people, you're going to be on the right path. You'll meet right clients and you'll be building a powerful network without necessarily trying to force it, but letting it magnetically come to you. Cal, thank you once again for coming on the show. It was super fun. Jason, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. I am your host, Jason Mark Campbell, and this is the Selling with Love podcast.